Hello, my name's Rivian Knight, and this is Thai Hi-Fi. You know, when you're dealing with magicians, you can never quite tell which ways the interview is going to go. Today's episode is a little bit of a case in point as I interview friend and mentor Mr. Mark Moray from the Institute for Natural Learning, who takes us on a circuitous path of his relationship with the acorn. Hope you enjoy. All the best. So, good evening, Mark Moray. Welcome to my little virtual half here. The flame feels good. Yeah, so from my side of the fire this evening, it's uh, it's dark. The sky's pretty broody. Um, I think it's going to rain pretty hard. Um, but inside my little home here, it's warm. There's tea. And I've just listened to a really fine piece of music that uh, you've created. Um, yeah, where are you tonight? What are you? Where are you situated? I'm, I'm also in the hearth, the kitchen, which is my main domicile during the last six months. We spend most of our time in the kitchen. And uh, this last 24 hours, we had a two feet of snow. Wow. Yeah, the first major storm of the year. I walked outside and I sunk up to my knees in snow, and uh, it was super great, super fun. The whole so the whole world has stopped. It's a snow day. I can't hear the traffic like I usually do roaring by the front of the house because it's all blanketed into this big pillow. It's just quiet. In fact, most people aren't driving. So it's it's like a really beautiful deep feeling of like the world has slowed down nature has put their thumb down on society and and we're all enjoying the hell out of it <laughs> perfect and it's dark here has the sun gone down just now? oh yeah oh yeah it's been down for three hours is there something particular you wanted to explore this evening mark uh well there's two things. Most current is gathering acorns. Mm-hmm. And it's unusual, so it's worth mentioning. Normally, it's a September activity. And my birthday's in September. And my greatest wish is to be able to have, have such a deep relationship with the land that I can feed myself and my children and share bounty with the natural cycles of what nature has to offer. It's a deep sentiment that transcends COVID by a lot. So there's an oak tree in town, 250 years old, I'll guess. It's big. Three, four people takes to put your arms around it. And the key though, is that it's a white oak tree, not a red oak. And the white oaks are classification of oaks. You know that you can find them in other countries. It, they have rounded lobes. The the bark is a little softer, and the tannins are nil. Sure. The red oaks, the other major category. Uh, the bark is rough. Leaves are pointed. 
and the tannins bitter. So bitter that you know you're eating a red oak when you put the acorn in your mouth and your mouth is spitting it out before you even decide <laughs> yeah. to keep it or not. You go, <laughs> but it's not even bitter. It's called astringent. It's like you put some super absorbent thing in your mouth and it sucks all the life out of your mouth. <laughs> right on. Whereas white oaks, it's like it's bitter, but you're like hanging in there with it. You're chewing on it and it's raw. You're like, but you're hanging in there. Red oak's not even a possibility. We went to this tree every single day, kind of got closer and closer to the time of year, which happened to be around my birthday, September 25th. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool because the arc of it really started peaking around my birthday and then declined afterwards. And around the peak of it, I was gathering maybe like, do you use gallons in the UK? Yeah. Like maybe a gallon a day at the peak. You know, it wasn't a massive year. I think on a big year, I ga- I gathered uh, closer to 20 gallons. Sure. Which is enormous. It was yeah. like, there was like too many. I couldn't even manage them, you know. But a gallon a day is a lot because the strategy is you have to dry them immediately and then store them in a jar. And then when you want to use them, you rehydrate them take the shell off, grind them into flour, whatever you want to do. Got it. So I'm with my daughter and she's now 20 and we're going to this house. And the first day is a little awkward because I'm in a neighborhood. The current inhabitants of this house that's in front of this oak tree, their relationship to the oak tree is they own it. Like this is my lawn. This is my tree. And I'm thinking, Hmm, Actually, this tree's been here a lot longer than you, right? So the acorns are falling down, and I'm, I kind of scope it out one day, and I'm picking up four or five at the beginning of the arc, and she comes out, and she's walking her dog, and I'm like, oh, hi. She's like, uh, hi. I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah. She's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm gathering acorns. She's like, oh, thank goodness. It's like they're such a bother. They're a real mess. And I'm like, I, I'm going to come back every day and gather all of these acorns. How do you feel about that? That would be amazing. Okay, cool. We've got an agreement. So we're in, right? And I come back each day, and it gets more and more and more. Some days it's raining. Some days it's sunny. But it just gets really good. And I bring my daughter with me, and we're just like, we start developing the system. And it's all super clear to me. But as a parent, I have this self-observer saying, how did this get to be? That a father's with his 20-year-old daughter, And they're like a ferocious harvesting team of acorns Uh on the ground in a neighborhood. Like, how is this okay, normal, and competent? We're coming up with systems for how to pick up good acorns versus bad acorns and how to do them quickly. And we're telling stories. We're like, click, 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 dropping them in our basket. She's she's the best gatherer I've ever met. Nice. It started when she was one and a half and two and five, and seven, and nine, and 11, and 13, and 15, and 16, the whole way. Gathering berries, seeds, and other things from the landscape that nature was bountifully offering over and over and over again. We During COVID, we gathered dandelion buds. You know, the ones that are before it opens into the yellow flower. You might not realize, but there's a whole pre-stage down at the cluster of the base of the dandelion where the bud has no stalk and it's just tight and it's bound, you can drop it in a salt and water mixture 
and ferment the dandelion bud as if it's a caper. Anyhow, that's just one of the activities we did during COVID, but it's all based on the normalizing of observing and respecting and following the bounty of nature, right? Yeah, and she's had a real regular routine of that since since she started. Super good. And, you know, in the beginning, berries are a really good process for kids because they're inherently motivated. And so you start with sweet berries, and then you always make sure there's some reason to not eat them all in the moment. It's either a pie or you're gathering them for a grandmother. We used to say, you know, always save one for mama. And we'd find the best one for mama. And we'd say, this one's for mama. You know, so there was this sense of you have an eye out for the best berry for those who weren't there. And that's, I think that's how you build that over time. It's like, where are we going with this whole parenting thing? Mm Mm-hmm. And there's 30 or 40 of these cycles a year, right? You know, and so it's building the palette of nutrition. All of those bitters and tastes and vitamins and minerals all have a different interaction with the palate. If we have that level of diversity, there's an incredible bountiful nutrition possible. But if we only work with processed foods and sweet foods and things that are bland, there isn't really a capability when they become an adult to even want to try those things. Yeah. So that's how it gets started. Anyhow, so there we are on the lawn. We're gathering acorns and we're having this funny thing of like being in a neighborhood, right? And I'm like, look at this. Here we are. We're we're like raking up by hand, one by one, this lady's acorns. We should start a business doing this. Like, what would the name of our business be? We're joking around. I'm like, what about uh, Gone Nuts? He'd be like on the side of our van, you know, like in some fun font. Gone nuts, which would be both like, obviously, we remove your nuts, but also we've gone a little crazy picking up acorns. It would just be fun, like an animated font, you know. And as soon as we said that, this person's walking down the road, again, walking their dog at the end of the day. And she says, hey, what are you doing? She had a bit of an accent, you know, and uh, uh, we're gathering acorns. Uh, We have a yard cleaning service. It's called Gone Nuts. <laughs> she said, oh, that's fantastic. I've got a yard full of acorns just down the road. I said, oh, okay. I said, Lucia, do we have any business cards? She goes, we're fresh out. <laughs> Sweet. I said, what's, I said, what's your address? She goes, oh, 54, you know, like four yards down. I said, oh, okay. We go by, you know, we like assessed her yard. But, of course, her oak trees were red oak oak trees uh-huh yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, see, not, you next, not, see you next year not as interested <laughs> <laughs> not as interested in the red oak egg trees because you'd have to boil those things like four days mm-hmm. to get the tan out and i said I, I don't think we're gonna be able to pull this off but thank you very much for uh, for thinking of us <laughs> so that so that was our story you know and, and we made it through the arc of that season and i have i don't know at least 20 gallons of acorns stored. And it's not just for this year. It's for like maybe five years. Huh. They keep, yeah. Yeah, we go larder to larder, you know, in that sense. Uh, we're not on an annual cycle. We're on the oak tree cycle. So mm-hmm. you have to gather as much as it takes for that to renew itself. What all this means is that when an oak tree lays out its bounty, it's normally feeding squirrels. 
and red oaks and white oaks have different strategies around that. When it starts to like, oh, we got to like bury some of these because we can't eat them all. They just take one at a time and they they run off and and plant one at a time way out there. So if you look at their tracks, they're just like do this little hole, stick it in there, fill it up, run back, and they're basically planting like hundreds of oak trees. So you start thinking, oh, I think the oak trees are actually farming out the gray squirrels sure. to, for a propagation, you know, because like mm-hmm. if you trust the intelligence of the oak tree over time, you know, you could say that they're in managing the gray squirrels. So a gray squirrel, on the other hand, is an incredible memory. If they plant 350 of these, they'll find every single one of them the next year. And they kind of raise their babies based on this larder. And so they're right kind of at maximum equilibrium between what they can feed their babies, you know, and what the acorn crop was. But then, so the oak trees never get ahead, right? Like how they do this. Well, every four or five years, they drop 10 times the amount of acorns that the squirrels can manage. And they're out there burying them like crazy, which they do like obsessively, but they can't even get back to them all. So literally they're like, oak trees are moving across the landscape, you know, 50 yards at a time over the centuries, mm-hmm. slowly propagating themselves and growing up into trees and doing it all over again. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Is there like, is there like a, an early indicator in the season that it's going to be a big, a big year? Well, I try to go and, and study the trees, you know, and um, there are some years you can't even see a green nut on there. And this last year, it was it was good. You could actually see a bunch of them forming, so I was hopeful. But no, I haven't quite figured out like when a mast year is going to be. Mm-hmm. Just kind of show up. Yeah, right on. And the this key year- is in my in my area. The key is like you want to find an oak tree that's that's far away from the woodland edge, because if you go into the woods all the gray squirrels are eating them when they're not even ripe. They're like clipping them up in the tree and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you can't win. So the, but this, this tree is like on somebody's lawn. That's like kind of away from the woods. So it's a big commitment for the gray squirrel to go all the way there, cross the road and cross the lawn. And, you know, it's vulnerable to hawks and that kind of a thing. So it's a good, it's a good place to gather mm-hmm. this particular tree. And there's like, I know five trees like that in my area, five oak trees. Yeah. Are you but say this this is where the story turns. When I was thinking about oak trees and having extra time in my hand during this pandemic, I remembered because I'm I'm in a great relationship with this woman in Dorchester, Massachusetts, which is in the old Boston area. It's like big neighborhoods there, big urban center. There's not a lot of green spaces right around where she lives. And so, you know, as a naturalist, I'm like looking at maps, thinking, where is the nearest natural area, like big natural area? Mm-hmm. And there's like a marsh that she can go walk at and stuff. And I'm trying to like get her into like collecting herbs and plants and things. And I see that she's, <clears throat> there's a lot of islands in the Boston Harbor. And she's, she's near some of these islands. Um, and the nearest island happens to be, which is an and so urban corporations and youth at risk used to come out by boat and do all their ropes course stuff there. And it's totally wooded. There's like no infrastructure on it. Mm. 
Oh my gosh. And and I remember from 20 years ago, maybe longer, uh, finding acorns there and filling them up in a sack in my in, in, over my shoulder and taking them home on the boat as like a young 20-year-old when I was a... a and and their their thing that shocked me is that there were so many in the ground because they didn't have any squirrels on the island. Huh. Okay. So I remember this old memory by looking at the maps, and I also remembered that there's a sandbar that emerges at low tide between the island and the mainland. Huh. So I was like, we ought to go down there at low tide and walk across the sandbar and see if we can find acorns out there. Yeah. But it got a little scary because she's like, I don't know, that's a real private neighborhood. People live out of that peninsula for a reason. I think a lot of Boston cops live out there. It's just like, you know, I don't know if I want to just park my car and like be in the wrong place. You know, it had this kind of turf feeling to it. I'm like, oh, okay. We never quite got around to doing it. And then it came back around again in December, just like a week ago. And I was like, you know what? We're doing this. <laughs> and so I set our sights. We drove out there. We found a parking spot. We walked through the woods to get to this peninsula. And there was a low tide, this sandbar that's like 200 meters long and 75 meters wide. And we go out there and it's like magical. It's like the parting of the seas. And we're walking on the, the bottom of the ocean floor. Yeah. And it's just full of shells. All sorts of shells, of clamshells and mussel shells. And the seagulls are coming out because they're picking up they're picking up clams and they're dropping them from high meters, you know, and, and dropping them on the rocks. And I chase after them to kind of catch one of the foods that they're eating. And we make it over there, and the first thing we find is a cemetery. Whoa. Children's cemetery. Because it's been a youth education island for like 175 years, mm -hmm. way back when it was like building character and kids were rowboating out there from the mainland and all sorts of crazy stuff. And there was a boating accident and a bunch of them had died. So I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so fitting with my ancestor quest relationship to things, you know, including oaks and acorns. And <clears throat> so we... We greeted the ancestors at that portal at the edge of the island because, you know, from the island's perspective, that's way out at the end of the island. Right. But from yeah. the sandbar, it's the first thing we meet. Yeah. yeah, it's like the entrance. Exactly. So I was like, oh, this is such a, a blessing in a way. And so then I was like, and so let's see, let's look for an oak tree. And I'm like, oh, look, look, there's one right here. You know, it was a beautiful white oak with rounded lobes on it. I look down at the bottom and there's acorns all over the ground still. John, December. <laughs> I know. And I was like, it didn't even occur to me, right? It's like really hard to wrap your mind around nuts still being on the ground three months later. Like animals eat these things, right? It's just part of island ecology. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing is a normal acorn for me is like the size of my thumbnail, you know, or like one and a half of my thumbnail, like this big. Mm -hmm. These acorns were the length of my thumb. Holy cow. The wow. length of my thumb. I was like, I've never seen acorns like this except in California with these giant California acorns. I, I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen anything like it. And then I was like, where else are they? And I ran to the next tree and there was more. And I went down to the beach and they were all over the beach, like 
I would say hundreds of gallons. Whoa. Serious protein. Like hundreds of gallons. And like three months later, hundreds of gallons. I was just like, oh, I hit this, I hit this <laughs> larder of larders of larder, you know? And I, and the teaching that came to me was like, you know, it's hard not to see the, the metaphor of life in that moment because it's like treasure is always there in plain sight, but it's our mindset that like the tide comes in, you know, it's gone. Hmm. Like in all the mythic movies, you know, the, the portal entrance is there and then it's gone. And then an amnesia sets in. Hmm. And then by faith or intention or luck or synchronicity or will, the tide goes back out and the land bridge appears and you make your way across into abundance. Mm -hmm. So we have these, I gathered three times as many acorns just from that experience compared to what I did in my regular oak tree. And they're all twice the size of those. So these are like a special batch, you know, right. the special cornbreads that I'm going to make with these acorns, you know, they're going to, they're going to come with that story. And as we walked home on that that particular night, you only have a little window. That's yeah. the other thing. Mm. It's like all the fairy tales, right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. might have access after you you do something, but you can't take it too far. The tide only you take it too far, <laughs> and the genie can't get back in the bottle. Something <laughs> bad's going to happen. <laughs> right. So we had we couldn't get too our eyes too big. Yeah, you know we had to be respectful of not being greedy and all that. So we did we. We walked home, and just as we walked home and the sun was setting, the full moon rose. We had the urban city lights to our right where the sun was setting, and the distant ocean to our left and the moon rising. That's a, that's a keeper right there. It's a keeper. Beautiful. Oh, and, uh, and plenty of protein in your store. Big time. I wish I could show you the, the picture through the audio here, but it's really something to, it's something to have a, uh, do you guys use gallons over there? <laughs> uh, we do for beer. Yeah. So it's like 10 gallons of beer. That's serious. Yeah. 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 Wow. So I like to make, I grow my own flower corn now. Mm-hmm seed from the Mandan tribes of North Dakota. Okay. And yeah, yeah. particularly famous for cornbread, I guess. So uh, it's colorful. I got, a, I got a series of red and a series of blue. I've been separating out the seed over the years to like more red and more blue corn, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to grind it with a hand grinder because it's, it's hard as rock. You know, like coffee beans, you grind out the flour corn Mm -hmm. And you add buttermilk and maple syrup, which I also make in the winter. You know, I tap my maple trees. Mm. And then, and then you know, then I soak the dried acorns, which I dried immediately in the shell still. I, I soak them, get the shell off, grind them, and then that's my cornbread. 50, 45% acorns, half corn. Wow. So the corn comes from Mandan tribes? Um, yeah. And I know, you know, I guess from my limited understanding, there are a number of different acorn 
eating cultures throughout the world, but where do you draw your relationship with the acorn from? Is it just because they Ireland. grow around you? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Oh, Ireland, big time. Yeah, you know, most recently, I mean, I have a long history of oak trees just because I'm, you know, I'm aware that if I can eat things on my landscape that have been here for a thousand years, other people did too. Mm. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So I just know, you know, native people ate acorns here. California, it was like an acorn culture. Yeah. But here, as it, I think it was just one of the many, many larders, you know, that came and went. But um, in Ireland, I, I was tracing ancestry two years ago out there and in my mother's side. Her, her, her male lineage over there was from Kerry. And in East Kerry, West Cork, there is a place called Killarney Park. Uh-huh. And it's like, I don't know, one of the rare places where there's mature forests still, if forests at all. And they're massive <laughs> white oak trees there. I okay. mean, what's shocking about it is you think Ireland is, you know, should be sad for like its lack of trees or something. Yeah. But th these are bigger oak trees than I've seen anywhere in my life. Oh my so gosh. the irony right is like on. they're also the largest oak trees I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, it's so old there that the that the sphagma moss on the ground is like 18 inches thick. It's like yeah. all over the rocks, all over the wood, all over the ground. You're just walking through this fairy tale land of of the depth of age, mm -hmm. like a mature forest. You're just like, oh, this is what ancient forests look like. Uh -huh. right These up. oaks yeah. are, are enormous, yeah, and super tall. And you say white oak trees. That's really encouraging to me to hear that. There's what you call a white oak in a Celtic nation, because you say that oh, yeah. the, 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 the tannin, there's less tannin in a white oak. But I always thought when you've said that word that you've just been talking to places in North America, but you found what, what you call white oak in County Kerry. Definitely. Well, that's good. Oh, know. yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, there was a there was a tree there that uh, it was cut down or. Maybe it was dead. I don't know what was going on, but you, it was on its side, like just a stump, and you could count the rings. And this thing was like a third of the size of most of the trees were, and it was like 275 years old. Yeah, yeah, biggie. So I was just like mapping that onto those other trees. I'm like, I wouldn't be uncomfortable saying these are like 800 to 1,000 years old. Holy cow. I would not be uncomfortable saying that. I mean, they were outrageous. And and then the amazing thing is there wasn't like in most places where you go to see like the big trees where there's like one mm. and then everything else is like third growth forest that are like tolerating this ancient tree. Um, it was like every every third tree was that big. How was the kind of visceral feeling in your body there? Did you manage to sort of relax and tune in a little bit because it sounds like a real special place yeah it was i one of the, my very first thoughts was well I, first of all I, I went skinny dipping in the river that ran through the park that was one of my bodily experiences there you know yeah that'll settle you yeah. i did exactly i just slipped in it was so good the water was freaking cold but it was uh it was beautiful you know being there and there was old stone ruins that were like famine era in there. 
So there were people living there just because, you know, not because it was a park. Mm-hmm. And there's deer in there as well, which is another thing you don't think of. You know, they have wild deer down there. And the first thing I thought of when I was there, based on my background, is this is where the youth initiation rites should take place. If I were living in Ireland and I were running teenage rites of passages like I do here in the States, I would for sure run my my solo experiences in this park mm-hmm. as part of the initiatory long-term ancestral uh, divination. You know, it's like because children are like wishes. You know, they're moving through time ahead of us, you know, or behind us however you want to look at that like we cast them off Mm -hmm. with whatever goodness that we surround them with our our love and our care eventually we're not there anymore and they're moving through time and that the the immersion in that place in a liminal state of fasting and you know being brought into a vision of society that's regenerative and long lasting, that would be the place. That would be the context mm-hmm. yeah. for the teachings. Mm-hmm. So maybe that'll come true. Maybe I'll head back there and offer that to the, to the land where my ancestors came from. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. It's nice that that just came up as a spontaneous thought rather than a, than a, than a plan. If you, if you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder who lives there that would be interested in in making that happen with you too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There must be somebody. There must be somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a an amazing artist that I know there who's also an archaeologist, archaeologist and folklore professor named Billy McGlynn. and he's he takes direction from the old ways, but he's really looking to innovate going forward around things, you know, mm-hmm. that that's our role. So he's a cultural creative in the sense that he's like, he's putting on a Beltane festival each spring, but taking direction from the past and innovating towards the future. You know, we can't like pretend like this is a ceremony that's been done for a thousand years kind of thing. Uh huh. Yeah. But we can, we can understand the elements of what a celebration and ceremony is and what the spirit of it is, but he, he's inventing new things with his community and, and his, his group of artists and musician friends. So um, he'd be the kind of guy I think I would invite into this and we'd collaborate for right sure. On. Right on. Yeah, it sounds like he keeps it real. He's not um, yes. pretending to prance around in the faux pretend Celtic bubble. He's uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I guess, you know, it's important to acknowledge that there are things lost from our past. But thankfully, you know, I guess what I'm, what I'm feeling from what you're saying when you're talking about this forest is that there are places we can go and kind of source some new stories from a, from old places. So yeah, I want to go visit. That sounds cool. So, you know, you said you had two stories tonight. We might have to do a part two. Special. Yeah. yeah. It feels like allow, it feels allow your like guests we've... to just absorb this one, you know, because what's left on the table, you know, I think in this conversation is, if you're if you're listening and you're a parent, you know what's what is your conscious parenting, your intergenerational parenting strategy? 
how is your parenting reflective of generations from now and generations before you? Mm-hmm. Often we're just in the day-to-day struggle, you know, of, of getting by and maybe hoping, hoping they economically survive and getting them into school and making sure they have good values and a few laughs and some play outside or, you know, but, you know, to stretch, to stretch that intentionality and to think, wow, this is my one chance to kind of cast a vote into the, into the future when, you know, what kind of elder are they going to be? What would, what would you add that built capacity for your child to understand their place, their era, their history, their relationship to land, their ability to tell stories? You know, I guess we started this conversation with you telling a story of having your daughter um, picking acorns into a bucket from a really young age. And 20 years later, she's become really uh, adept. So that's a good start. So I guess um, as we move towards completion this evening, I want to honor the parenting journey you've gone on. Always very happy to listen to what you've got to say, Mark Moray. And um yeah, I'm really grateful to get a little window into your um, relationship with acorns. And I will definitely spend some time reflecting on the magic of finding acorns out of season and stepping out of that kind of uh, fixed brain patterning, I guess, and and um, discovering something that's been hiding in plain sight. Yeah. So I want to congratulate you on some winter hyperabundance. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very grateful for the for the conversation. Thank you very much. It was fun to relive those things in real time with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, as the night turns, um, I'm going to say good night, and I look forward to um, to speaking to you again sometime soon, Mark. I owe you a part two. episode certainly had a lot of fun and good conversation recording it if you like what you're hearing be sure to tell your friends and subscribe and uh, hope to see you next time for Thai Hi-Fi all the best